Amen. Let us read from God's Word this morning. We read from Hebrews chapter 10, reading from verses 23 down to verse 25. Uh, and as I always say, the shorter the Bible reading, from normally the longer the sermon, but hopefully that's not the case this morning. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, and we're thinking this morning about kind tongues and soft hearts. Let's read from, read from God's Word together. That should be on page about 1007 of the Pew Bibles in front of you but it will also appear in the, the screens before you. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. And may God bless to us the reading of His holy word this morning. I want us to think and to touch on a subject that has been in my heart for a, a while now, and um, we'll probably go into it a bit more deeper um, after the summer as we look to continue to, to cultivate a, a godly and biblical culture in here as a congregation and as a church. Um, but I wanted to just to touch on it this morning, just to plant that little seed, um, to let it germinate in our hearts um, as we go on, uh, as summer approaches, um, so that when we touch on it later on in the year, that actually that we've already got a bit of groundwork and maybe some thinking um, through this already. And I, I think it is something that, um, and I don't mean just this church, I mean the church in general, um, especially in the West. It's something that we, we struggle in and struggle with, and, and that is the, the topic of the, the tongue um, and how we speak and what we say um, and how we address one another. And, and maybe, if, if we're honest, that we could say that that's something maybe even that we, we struggle with here ourselves. And I know there's times in my life when my, my tongue is too quick and it is too sharp. And I say something and then I think, oh man, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. And, and actually, what does it look like for our tongues not to be sharp? What does it look like for us to, as a congregation to have, to have um, you know, kind tongues? That, that, and, and for me, a kind tongue is only present and is only there when our hearts are soft. If you've got a hard heart, I think you'll have a sharp tongue. Um, but if you have a soft heart, I think that one of the ways that that is shown is through what we say and what we do and how we can have kind tongues and kind speech. Do you know the place I have been encouraged most in my life and the place I have been discouraged most in my life has been the same place? It's been the church. Often in the church, and again, I don't mean just Sandy Hills, I mean the church through my Christian experience, my Christian walk, it has been the place where I have been encouraged most in my life, but it has also been the place where I've been met with the most discouragement in my life. And the Bible speaks about, you know, people having the gift of encouragement. I think there's a lot of people with the gift of discouragement in the church. It's just what they do, it's second nature to them. They can't help it, they just discourage people. And actually, we need to address that. We need to think about that because that's not how God wants us to be as his people. And, and I love that when the writer of this letter in Hebrews, when he addresses it, that he grounds this in the same place that everything needs to be grounded in. And we read that in verse 23, that everything that we are, everything that we do, the people that we become as God's people, it is all grounded within the hope that we have. It all comes from our salvation. 
That actually when we are saved, there needs to be a difference. There is a change. There's a transformation that takes place in our lives. Everything that we are, the people that we are as God's people, comes from our salvation. And what that is, is that's part of what we call in, in kind of church language, is sanctification. That we are justified, we're saved immediately when we ask God into our hearts, when we ask for the forgiveness of our sins, we are redeemed, we are, um, we are um, restored, we become a new creation, immediately we are saved. We don't have to work at that, it's done. It is a, a blink in the, in the eye, a, in a split second, as soon as we pray that prayer, as we ask God into our lives, He comes in and He saves us. But then sanctification, that's not an immediate thing. That is something that we have to work at. That is a process that happens throughout our lives. And hopefully, I look more like Jesus. I am more like a Christian, uh, what the Bible says, now than I was 10 years ago. Because actually, 10 years ago, I was more immature in my faith. But as I spent time reading God's Word, as God has done a work in my life, hopefully, I am more what the, the Bible wants me to be. But then, in 10 more years' time, you know, hopefully, I'll have moved on again. Because that process of sanctification continues to happen in our lives. We're, became, we're made more and more holy. We're made more and more like the one who has saved us. First Peter, we've thought about First Peter loads, um, I think it was about the last year. And First Peter touches on this, that when it talks about that we're saved in the knowledge of the Father, in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, and for obedience to Christ with the sprinkling of His blood. So when we are saved, that isn't the end of it. We don't just put our feet up and watch Netflix until we get to heaven. That's not how it's meant to be. Actually, there's a, there's a process that takes place in our hearts. That the fruit of the Spirit becomes more and more evident in our life. That love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, those things, they become more and more evident. And I actually, I think sometimes as the church, we focus too much on the gifts of the Spirit when we should be focusing more on the fruit of the Spirit. Because actually the gifts of the Spirit looks at the stuff that we do, but the fruit of the Spirit looks at who we are. And I, I think sometimes we, and we'll touch on this in a, in a few moments, maybe we, we, if someone's good at something, we let them off with things. We let them off with how their character is. That shouldn't be the case. The two go together. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Both come from the same Spirit and should be doing a work in our lives and should be evident and should be seen. All that we do, all that we are, flows from our salvation. And that's why the writer here grounds us with the talk of hope. Let us hold fast, fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Now it's important for us to know that despite how many of us live and maybe even sometimes how I think, I am not the object of this verse. The object of this verse is the hope that we hold. That is the central part of this verse. It isn't, it isn't the, the, the people that it's speaking about or those who are clinging on to it. It is the hope that we cling on to that is the object of this verse. That is the primary thing here. And, and, and why do I say that? Well, I say that because maybe we need to be reminded and that, that maybe I need to be reminded that Christianity isn't about me. It's not about us. Salvation is not about us. We are redeemed, saved for, as Isaiah says, for God's glory. That's why God has chosen a people. It's for, ultimately for His glory. 
And we benefit from that absolutely. And he does it because he loves us and he sent Jesus for us. But it's ultimately all for his glory. And when we start to put our salvation above the glory of God, that is a dangerous place to be. If you're coming to church for what you can get out of it, that is the wrong attitude to have. That's not why you should be coming to church. The amount of people I've heard in my life moan about hymns and songs and tunes and this and that and say, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. Sometimes I want to say, maybe I should say, well, that's okay because it's not about you. We don't sing these hymns for you. We don't do this for you. It's for God. It's for his glory. And really what we're tapping into there is the issue and the problem of individualism. Individualism, which I would say is one of the biggest issues that we have here in the West. We are living in a day and a culture and a society where it is all about me. Me, 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 I, I, I. And I think if we're honest, friends, we can say that that has sadly crept into the church and our attitude of how we do church. It isn't about you. And it isn't about me. It is all about Jesus. And see if we miss that, then everything I'm going to say this morning, I might as well just toss it in the bin. If we miss that this is all for God, and it's not about us, and it's not about our wants and our likes, then actually, what's the point in us being here? It's all for Jesus. And see, when a church grasps that and lays hold of that, that is a beautiful thing. That is a really, truly beautiful thing. And that mindset of me and I, like I said, has crept into the church. And we have people now thinking that church should be shaped around our needs and our wants and our likings. There's people now who even, you know, I think they take the IKEA mentality to church. Do you know, you go to Ikea, you can decorate your whole room. You pick this bit and that bit and this bit and that bit. And now people leave church because of one tiny, tiny little thing. I'm, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. You'll forever be hopping around church if that's your attitude. Because you're never going to find a perfect church because the church is made up of imperfect people. It's not shaped by what I want or my needs or my likings. Now, don't get me wrong. We're all unique and we have different tastes. But when that begins to impact the life and the congregation of a church, something has gone far, far wrong. I mean, look at how the writer coins this. He doesn't say, let me hold on to the confession of my hope or let you hold on to the confession of your hope. He says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope. There is a unity thing here. And where individualism is present, unity can't happen. You cannot live the Christian life as a lone ranger. There's many that try and many that think they can, but you cannot live the Christian life as a lone ranger. And that's why part of our sanctification is about us becoming more united as God's people in this place. Because church is meant to be done together. We're meant to hold on to this hope together as a family. And then we have, before we move on, just as really beautiful little phrase, for he who has promised is faithful. I just couldn't jump past that this morning because it's just such a wonderful thing for us to be reminded of, that he who has promised is faithful. Beloved of God, keep on going. Keep on going. I know it's tough. 
I know so many of you are struggling. I know so many of you are going through hardships that you never even imagined would happen in your life. But I want you to be reminded this morning that he who has promised is faithful, that he has you in the very palm of his hand. Our God is faithful. And that's why we can hold on with hope. Because the holding on doesn't come from our ability. But it comes on from who we hold on to. It's him. He is faithful. And he will carry us. He will give us the ability and the strength to carry on holding on to the confession of our hope. He never wavers. He never lets us down. And he is always faithful. So as God's people, part of this collective inheritance that we have, that Christ has secured for us, we absolutely are saved as individuals. We're saved through, you know, trusting in Jesus ourselves. You can't be saved on the back of someone else's confession or profession. But once we're saved as God's people, we're saved as individuals, but saved into a family. That's why the scriptures speak about we're engrafted into the family of God. You're no longer meant to do this by yourself. You're no longer meant to think about this from just what you want. But you're now part of something much bigger, something much better the bride of Christ, the church of God. And then he says, let us consider in verse 24. This means that this isn't meant to be an afterthought. This isn't something that kind of sits on the, the back burner that maybe we, we think about doing every couple of years or every so often, but this should be something that is front and foremost. The verb here for, for um, let us consider means like give careful thought to. Give careful attention to. Give deep concern for. That, those are other ways that you can, you can say this. So maybe let us consider, maybe sounds a bit flimsy, but when we say give deep concern to, that changes how we look at this verse. This is now something that should be first and foremost in our minds as God's people. This means that this is something that we should be striving to do. Something that we should be, uh, should be striving to be. Are we? Are we striving to do what verse 24 says? Can we hand on heart say that we are working our hardest and we are considering with the utmost attention and giving the deepest of concerns to verse 24? C can you truly say that this morning? I know I can't. I know it's something that I should be doing more. This shouldn't be on the back burner, but something that is um, active within God's people. And this word consider points to something that we must work at. It isn't our default position. Our default position isn't to be people who are good at stirring up one another to, love, um, to, to good works and with love and, and to encourage people. That isn't our default. That isn't our, our primary. That's not where we kind of set off from. It's something that we need to work at. Our default is to discourage because actually we see in Genesis that separation takes place. There's enmity between, and, and, and separation between us and God, but then also us and other human beings that actually we're constantly at war with. That is the sinful position. That is where we start from as, as, as sinners. But actually when we're saved and we're redeemed and we're brought into this kingdom that shall never be shaken, that shouldn't be who we are anymore. We shouldn't be a people who discourage. Friends, this should be our culture here. We must give deep concern and concentrated thought to verse 24 and verse 25. We must. It isn't an option. 
This is who we need to strive to be as God's people. And part of this is because we should have a common vision. Part of this comes out of that thing of unity. Actually, all of this comes out of that place of unity. That's why he talks about this hope that we have as God's people. It isn't about me. Because if, if I'm an individual and I'm doing this by myself, then it's really hard then for me to think about constantly looking to encourage one another. But see, when I'm part of something and I'm part of a family, when you're part of unity, this should be second nature for us. We should just look at being people who encourage and who stir one another up in love without even having to think about it. But we, when we start to see factions and frictions and splits and separation, and we start to see that kind of individualistic mentality come to church, that's a problem. And that isn't biblical. That is not biblical. So what is this thing that we should be giving deep concern for? Stirring up one another to love and good works. Again, when we see this phrase, one another, this speaks right against the, the, the thought and the mindset and the culture of individualistic thinking. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You're meant to be part of a family. Like I said, the Bible tells us that we're engrafted into the family of God. And God, what that means is that He adopts us. When we put our hope and trust in Him, when we're saved, He adopts us into His family. And as part of that, it is your role, it is your responsibility, not just other people, but your responsibility to stir one another up to love and good works. We are to carefully consider our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, I ask, can we say that we do that? Can I say that I do that? I know I fail in that so much. I think of my home church in Stornoway, which saw, um, I think it was five of us go into full-time ministry of Word and Sacrament within the, the Church of Scotland in the space of about two and a half, maybe three years. Five of us. And on top of that, there was another maybe five or six of people that went off and became missionaries and, and went overseas and, and did things and people who went to America to study Bible colleges as well. There was so much people who stepped into full-time ministry who gave God their yes and said, yes, I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to serve where God is calling me. But why? Why did that congregation see so many people step into what God had called them to be? I think it's because they practiced this. I think it's because they could say that they created a culture and a place where they stirred up and spurred on one another to good works in love. I remember, and I think back to the very first time that I, I preached, it was on a, a Wednesday night in the summer, um, and probably about nine years ago, maybe, maybe a wee bit longer. Um, I was about 19, 20 years old, I think, and 
I think back to that, and if you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me back then. Man, alive, I was awful. I, it, was, it actually makes me cringe thinking about that sermon. And it's actually in a CD that I've hidden in the house because I, I listened to it once for about three minutes and turned it off. I, I could not stomach any more of it. It was that bad. My mouth was so dry, and I shaked so much, and I probably didn't even look up from my notes. I probably spoke like this for the whole, what felt like four hours, but it was probably about 15 minutes. Man, it was probably felt like four hours for the congregation as well, to be honest. But what I found afterwards was that they asked me to go to the door, and I was met with such grace. I was met with such love and affirmation. Now, If they wanted to, they could have taken a whole book full of the things that I needed to work on, the things that I did wrong, but that's not what they did. They encouraged me. They spoke to me. And, 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 you know, they probably actually, if if, if I had negative comments there, I don't even know if I would be here today. Actually, they, they, they gave me such love and grace in that moment. They worked at that. They were such an encouraging people. And I know that the others who have gone into ministry, that when they preached, they would probably say the same if they were standing here, that they were met with such grace and love and encouragement from the, the congregation, that they encouraged us to, to continue, even though we were nowhere near the finished article, even though we were nowhere near ready to step into what God had called us to, they stirred us up in love to good works. Keep on going. Keep on going. I've seen other churches, though, where I would say that actually the complete opposite to that happens. And it actually, like I said, it seems like the gift of discouragement that they possess as God's people. I think back to another moment in my training. This time I was a couple of years on, and um, I was preaching in this church. It was my placement in the summer. And a guy who was visiting um, asked me at the door, and I preached. And again, I still am insecure about all that I do as a, as a minister. And I mean, if you think you know my faults, I know them 10 times more. And, and I remember standing there and preaching that day, and I can't remember what it was on. I think it was on um, the, the call, who do, you, who do you say that I am, that, that, that Jesus gave to his disciples. And at the door, this man came up to me, and, and he asked me, he was, he was visiting the church. He said, are you, are you in training? And I said, yes. And he goes, I can tell. He said, you were all over the place. And I, do you know, I just, I wanted to punch him right in the nose, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I just thought, what, why? What, does that make you feel better about yourself? Because it certainly doesn't make me feel any better. It doesn't stir me on to good works. It doesn't make me draw closer to Jesus. It actually makes me think bad thoughts. That's what that does. And I knew my inadequacy. I still know it. I know my failings. I know my faults. I don't know why he needed the, 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 he felt he needed to, to say that at the door. And, and do you know, I can't remember one of the encouragements that I got from that church verbatim. I couldn't tell you from my time in Martins. I can't tell you the word for word, the people they said. But I can remember what he said. It stuck with me. It, it hurt. And, and, and friends, I'll be honest with you. Even since I've been here, I had someone tell me that I was one of the worst preachers they'd ever heard. Do you know, why? What good does that do as God's people? And, and I don't tell you that to make us look bad as a congregation, but I do it to shine a light upon a problem that we maybe have that God wants to address. <clears throat> Friends, 
let the light of Christ shine and expose our failings and our faults as a congregation so that he can deal with us graciously and mercifully. And that in order when he does that, he can sanctify us to make us more beautiful like his bride. Our tongues can be so sharp. And do you know what, friends? It's not acceptable. It isn't acceptable. All it does is disempower people. All it does is causes hurt. All it does is cause division. All it does is put people off the faith. And it certainly doesn't exalt Christ. And I don't want to be a part of a church like that. Do you? Do you want to be part of a church that looks to bring people down and mock people and and point at people's failings and faults and the things that they're not very good at? Friends, let us engage our hearts before we speak. Have this verse at the front of your mind. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And like I said, I think that in the church, maybe we have been quick to allow gifting to weigh more than character. And do you know what? Give me someone who's mediocre at what they do, but has a heart of love, a heart of compassion, someone who shows the the fruit of the Spirit, someone who encourages people, someone who points people to Jesus. Give me someone who's mediocre at what they do, but has a character like that any day of the week over the best singers, the best songwriters, the best whatever they are. But someone who's like that, but then, do you know what? They just bring disunity and they discourage people and they have sharp tongues. I know who I would want to be involved in my congregation. And I know that you're the same. I know that actually you guys would rather have someone who is, has the right character and, and godly fruits and godly traits. Let us remember that. And I hope that as we talk about this this morning, that God would illuminate in my heart, first and foremost. Friends, I preach this. Paul can testify to this. I preach this in my sermons before I come to church every Sunday morning. I stand in my mirror and I preach this because I preach it to myself first. Let God illuminate in my heart and in this place the areas where we actively are doing the opposite of what this verse is telling us to do. Discouragement comes from a place of pride and arrogance, self-entitlement and disunity. So the encouragement then has to be the opposite. Encouragement comes from a place of unity and humility and servant-heartness and gentleness. And we know which one of those is biblical. So let's strive as a congregation to be biblical in all that we do. That should be our culture here. A people who encourage one another, a people who speak well to one another, a people who love one another, not just in how we think, but in what we say and what we do as well. Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 26, without wood a fire goes out, without gossip a quarrel dies down. Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. Friends, let us be a people who have soft hearts and kind tongues, not just because it makes us feel good about ourselves, but it's because how God wants us to live. It's how God commands us in Scripture to be. 
And just as we close, when revival broke out in Lewis, Duncan Campbell was the, the, the man that was called to come and help and be involved and help shape it and, and, and was instrumental in the, the revival taking place where so many people gave their hearts to Jesus in such a short space of time. And after that, he used to get other phone calls about, um, there's a revival breaking out here, would you come and be involved? There's something happening here, would you come and be involved? And do you know the question Duncan Campbell used to ask? The first question he would ask to the person on the phone is, show me where the opposition is. Show me where the opposition is, not from the world, but from the church. Isn't that really sad? That often the biggest critics and the biggest opposers to what God is doing in a place is not from the world, but it's found in the pews of those who sit around us. I think that is truly, truly sad. And that's why I feel that the writer in Hebrews encourages us, to commands us to be people like this. People who consider one another. People who stir up one another. People who speak well to one another. People who encourage one another. Christ is glorified by this. It is, long, it is how he longs for his bride to live. In unity, in harmony, in love. So maybe... This morning, as we sit here, maybe you found this really uncomfortable. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe you'll have to pray to God and ask him to illuminate that in your heart, why that is. Maybe this morning, as we sit here, maybe we know that we've had a problem with our tongue. Maybe we know that sometimes we're too quick and our tongue can be quite sharp, and maybe we need to apologize for something. I'd encourage you to be obedient to that and to follow that through. Maybe we need to pray for God to soften our hearts and to actually give, our, give us kinder tongues. Or maybe we know someone who actually we're thinking, I wish they were here this morning and listening to this sermon. Pray for them. Pray that God does a work in their lives that softens their hearts because soft hearts leads to kind tongues. Friends, let this be a place where we actively look to build each other up actively look, that we actually go out of our way to do so. Not defend our own wee empires, but look to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ as we speak well to one another, as we encourage one another, and as we hold on as God's people to the wonderful hope that we have in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we know that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And Father, we know that it is meant to edify us and teach us. And Father, we pray this morning that as we've sat under it, that Lord, anything that is not of you, that it would fall away. Lord, anything that was just a hobby horse of mine, Father, that it would go from people's minds and wouldn't be remembered, God. But Father, I pray for the stuff that you have wanted communicated this morning. Father, may we hear it. May we put it into action. May this be a place of love and encouragement, building one another up. Father, we know how easy it is to speak negative thoughts. We know how easy it is to discourage and bring discouragement. But God, help us this morning to be a people who mirror your kingdom, who love well, who encourage well, who stir up one another well, 
And Father, our people who are united under the banner of Christ, for the glory of Christ, and for the advancement of your kingdom and your kingdom alone. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.